All right, we're recording. So, hello, Dylan. How you going? Good, thanks, Daniel. Uh, cool. Yeah, so I I wanted to talk to you. Um, I think we spoke for the first time. It'd be a few weeks ago now at the, um, I think it was DevOps Days uh, here in Melbourne, and it was you gave one of the main talks. It was really really interesting, and. I think you've got a lot of experience working in Azure, a lot of experience uh, around the developer experience specifically. And then um, obviously there was last week, there was the build conference from Microsoft where they sort of give a, give a description of their upcoming features and new tools that they're developing. And there was a big focus on Azure and a big focus on AI specifically. And I thought you'd be a great person to get on the podcast to discuss this with, um, because I think for me, it's probably a lot easier if I get someone smarter than me who understands this better than me, who can discuss it. Um, and so, you know, you, uh, the first person I asked to come along and talk about this. So, um, first of all, thanks for coming along. Um, just first impressions. Uh, what did you think from, um, everything that you saw there was there's two days of of, of uh, not just keynotes sessions these sorts of things uh, how much of that did you see and uh, very quickly what did you think about it yeah cool so thanks for having me on um yeah so build went for about three days and yeah there were definitely some real big themes coming out of build so the biggest one of course being open ai uh, large language models and uh, co-pilots uh, which seem to have just sprung up in every application that Microsoft's doing, but obviously through Azure. Um, so with kind of the different AIs all being kind of based and hosted through Azure. Um, so there was a lot of cool announcements. They've got uh, a Copilot framework now, which is going to allow people to build plugins and things like that, which will work across all the different Copilots that are spread through the Microsoft products. Um, it also helped people stand up their own copilot. So kind of have a copilot inside your business that understands your business context uh, and has access to your data and things like that. Um, so, but moving on from the AI stuff, there's also a lot of really cool stuff coming out around the developer experience. So uh, this is kind of things like DevBox. Um, so having a virtualized developer environment um, and also Windows Dev Home, which is kind of a way of, maintaining your developer kind of ecosystem on your machine and being able to move that to other machines, uh, streamline setting things up, uh, do all your packages and stuff like that through the new WinGet interface. So yes, yeah, so there's a lot of cool things coming out um, and a lot of it's kind of available now and some of it's available in a couple of months. Yeah, maybe we could talk about the thing, I think the most interesting thing that you started with which is all of these little co-pilots that people are going to be able to build in their applications and um, sort of attach themselves to these frameworks. So um, I think, uh, well, maybe I should start with asking, um, do you have any idea about what the developer experience is going to be like? I know I've seen you um, on your, we should probably add, I've seen you on your Twitch stream where you're developing a chatbot. Um, I personally don't have any experience. So suppose maybe, maybe, um, picture someone with, 
developer experience they haven't necessarily um maybe they have some experience with a particular cloud azure aws whatever um and they want to um they want to plug themselves into this framework i know they didn't i'm not sure if they gave specific uh, details i did i haven't yet seen the session with mark Rosinovich where i think they build out one of these bots um, but what do you think it's going to be like for a developer and do i sort of see it uh like there's going to be a sea of these things every just as we have an app for everything every company that wants to interact with their clients is going to have uh, an ai bot and you're just going to you know ask this thing whatever it is any any particular business is selling they're going to be selling it through one of these bots eventually yeah yeah so there's going to be kind of two modes to this so there's going to be um kind of a low code mode to start with so that's uh, so there's an Azure AI studio that they come out, which is kind of a web-based studio um, as part of the Azure platform. Um, and that's going to be like if anyone's had, you've had an experience with Power Apps or anything before, but they're kind of low code, you know, what you see, what you get type interfaces, allow you to build very simple kind of experiences. But these are what's going to get you started with building very simple chatbots. Um, tying them in some data and having a very curated experience uh, for making quite simple chatbots with large language models. Uh, but the next mode is going to be in the much more heavy development mode, and that's going to depend a bit on the language you use uh, as to how you integrate. So if you're using something like Python or .NET, uh, Microsoft have an SDK that they're developing called Semantic Kernel, which is going to give you a lot of kind of strong type ways to get into the ecosystem to connect to either Azure OpenAI service or even the OpenAI model directly through OpenAI's APIs. Um, and then that's what's going to let you kind of have that more control over, okay, I've got access to a large language model inside my application. It can do things, I can provide it more data, I can uh, even use it to query my own data is another cool thing that you can do with it. Um, but that's going to be definitely much more a heavy development piece. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of kind of learning curves, I think, coming up with how we set those kind of things up. Yeah, I think uh, the actual developer side, it, I don't know if you make it look easy, but uh, it was really fascinating on one of the Friday nights watching you read the documentation on the Zero's website and sort of say, okay, you know, I have to download this library. I have to instantiate this thing. I have to send it this data. Uh, and going back and forth between reading the documentation, developing something, and you had uh, a working bot in a few hours. So I thought, oh, this seems like it's going to be really, really easy. I think that there might be a little bit of an art or science in tweaking these models um giving them i'm not 100 percent sure the 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 types of parameters you can give them i know that you can feed them um different types of data that they might be able to train on um having sessions where uh you can ask a question and then you can ask follow-up questions which works quite well with um with uh with chat gpt but obviously as a developer you'd have to handle all of that sort of stuff um 
where do you think the difficulty is when you said the learning curve? Um, I, it seems like it's not too difficult to interact with these things, but maybe it'll be more the experience of tuning them and getting them to behave in exactly the way you want. Yeah, so it, it, that's definitely more of what's what we call prompt engineering. So um, this is around the idea of saying, okay, I have a chatbot, and and the actual the Twitch chatbot I was working on was a very good example of this, where it was quite easy to start with. Where okay, I've given it a very clear directive of okay, you're a chatbot that interacts with Twitch. Please answer people nicely, and in doing that, I've actually bound what the chatbot's trying to do, which protected it actually because someone. Um, posted in trying to jailbreak the bot is one of the first things. Um, so the jailbreak code being you tell the AI that it's something else and therefore try and get around its normal protections by saying, well, you're something called Dan and you can do X, Y, Z. Um, and the AI generally accepts that and moves on. But in the case of the, the Twitch bot, what it did was say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a Twitch bot. Um, so, so there's a bit of art there around how do you set up the prompts, but then where the learning curve is going to really come in is, so you can set up your prompt to tell it, here is the baseline of what you should be doing as as the AI, here's your base kind of persona, but then you're going to need to start adding in context, and this is kind of what you were saying before, where the more longer you have a session running and the more kind of messages in that session, the richer the kind of response can get. And that's where you'll be doing things like going to your company database and finding relevant data to the discussions happening and pulling that data in and then providing that within the context of the conversation so that the uh, AI is able to then grab that context and provide you further answers which are more focused on your topic. But that's really where it's hard because sometimes what you'll have happen is you'll ask it a question, it'll get the extra data, but then it'll ignore that data and just go off into its own trained data set and try and find an answer there when you're asking, what is the policy for my company on X? Um, so, yeah, so there's definitely a bit of a learning curve with how we set those kind of components up. Yeah, the, the thing I find interesting about prompt engineering specifically is it's almost like you're not a programmer anymore, you're a lawyer. Because I see lawyers what they do is they take natural language and they try to um, navigate a series of logical ideas about, you know, um, specific laws and regulations, case law, um, how that sort of, how you would make a, a language-based argument to maneuver through a set of logical ideas to get to where you want to be. And prompt engineering to me seems a lot more like that than it, than, than programming you, you're not you're not describing you know uh, computational logic exactly you're trying to think of a set of sentences to explain to this bot do this thing get this piece of information um, you know ask this specific question uh, and, and we're still doing it through this natural language I think it, it seems really really different and I wonder if it's going to be a very different group of people eventually who become experts at prompt engineering compared to the developers developing applications. Because to me, it seems like something very, very different. Have you thought about this? Yeah, it's actually you're really funny. Um, that's a really good analogy with the lawyer there. But I was talking to someone from Microsoft uh, last week about 
this kind of prompt engineering and all this stuff. And what they've said is that in their some of their examples that they give out to different people, uh, the majority of the language that's used inside their examples isn't programming code, it's English, because they're actually having to write so much English natural language to explain to the to the AI what it's meant to do and set up all those prompts. And I think you're right, it's going to be a different set of engineers that are really good at tuning these uh, systems to get the best out of them. Um, and I think where you're going to have the merge between more traditional developers and these more kind of prompting kind of AI developers is around integration. Um, so the bot needs to get something and that's where it leaves its context and it's going to need developers who are very strong in kind of back-end development to be able to then say, okay, how do I give this system safe, secure, reliable access to another system? Um, so I think there's definitely going to be kind of that new tier almost of developer. So you're going to have your front-end developer, you're going to have your back-end developer, and soon you'll have your kind of AI prompt developer. Um, yeah, and the other thing I was thinking as well was um, this is, it wasn't just this example. Um, I think there were five specific things. I'm, I'm going to look them up now from um, Satya's keynote, um, five important features. But um, I couldn't think of what the equivalent sort of services are from AWS. I'm sure that they've got, um, you know, especially for, for um, machine learning models, pre-trained models, and eventually... If they don't already, they'll have similar large language models. But um, in terms of branding, certainly, I can't think of um, equivalent services from AWS. And it seems to me at the moment that if you were to pick between two different clouds, let's say you're a young engineer, you're saying to yourself, well, should I get AWS or Azure certified? Um, to me, Azure looks like uh, they're the future at the moment. I'm sure AWS, Amazon's not going to sit on, sit around and wait for anything, but um, they seem to have all of the really important offerings for these types of applications that that are really a buzz at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll I'll kind of caveat this with um, so the I work for Mans Group and I'm employed by a consulting company called Zenix. We have Microsoft partners, um, and we're very much deep in Azure. Um, so my view is very much skewed to that. But yeah, it does feel like AWS has kind of lagged behind in this space a bit. Uh, so they're working, I believe, on their language model called Bedrock. Um, but I don't think it's anywhere near release as of yet. Um, and the other competitor is GCP, so Google, with their BARD system, which, again, is still trailing behind kind of the GPT and OpenAI stuff. Um, but, but that being said, I mean, OpenAI has their APIs available to essentially whatever cloud you're running on. Um, though, to be aware, if you're using OpenAI, OpenAI's APIs, um, they will take the data that you send them and use them in their training sets, uh, which is an issue with, I believe it was Samsung had a problem where their engineers uh, put a whole heap of their source code up into the uh, OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT effectively. Uh, so now all of their source code is part of the training model for OpenAI. So they were less than less than happy about that happening. Um, yeah, I've, 
that, I think that was a big deal in the news. Um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, th there are going to be ways around this. I'm sure that Microsoft or other people will give special, um, either on-prem versions of this or the, the models that are isolated where we'll, you have a promise that when you feed this data that the, the, the model that you've trained is going to be your specific model. It's not going to go elsewhere. Um, these sorts of things, I think it's, in the case of Samsung, it was just that it's new and people aren't used to it and they're not used to these sorts of um, problems. But interestingly, I, I did note that they kept going on about safety and they, they said it every third sentence. So it was really, really conspicuous. Um, I guess this is an example of that safety where you're speaking to the bot and the bot's basically copying down everything you're saying um, and, and it might be part of someone else's response later on. Um, what did you think of safety? Are you one of these people that's concerned that the that uh, uh, large language models will eventually turn into Skynet and take over? Yeah, um, so I'm definitely not worried about Skynet. Uh, the moment the language model is still not really that smart. Um, so, so we're all good there. Um, I am still concerned with safety, but it's more around kind of data safety. So this is around providing, so one business is being able to use these models without their data being leaked out into the model. So for example, Azure's OpenAI service uh, has that built in where it will not send any of the data that you've sent in prompts or in the completion data um, to the model to be trained. It is kept for 30 days, but that's kept to track for what they call abuse. So that's people trying to do things like hate speech or um, trying to get the bot to do things it certainly shouldn't be doing um, and using that data to kind of track who's doing that and then essentially kick them off the platform. Um, but that data is encrypted and then deleted after 30 days. Um, but I think, and I think that's really where the safety is coming in here. It's around how the data is being used but also what data is being sent back. Um, and this comes around the thing of misinformation, people using these AI models to impersonate other people. Um, and how do we kind of build in some safety features here so we don't have kind of rampant abuse of these kind of systems? Yeah, I'm not, I think with that, um, to a certain degree, the cat's out the bag, um, even if you, have Microsoft being responsible. I think Facebook has their um, open source model that you can download onto your computer and you can, um, you know, you can you can run with any sort of parameters that you want. I, th my, I, the way I think this is gonna go is probably similar to Photoshop where a hundred years ago, if you showed someone a photo of something, he knew that you must've taken that with a camera and that was a perfect image of reality and he could go with that. But today, if you show someone something fanciful, he'll just tell you, ah, oh, it's been shopped. Um, and with the deep fakes as well, I think even just a few years ago, if you showed someone something, um, then they'd, they'd take it on face value. But now we've seen deep fakes and we're probably, um, we're probably wary of someone saying something. Um, and I think with these uh, large language models, society is going to adjust. I think I personally sort of wonder how um, 
university courses and these sorts of things are going to grow because you know a lot of people would go to university to write essays that the that a bot can write for you now and can do a really really good job at so i think at some point this will adjust whether it means you have to hand write your essays in an exam in a hall in person or um, whatever else uh, i think probably that the the solution to this will be that um, people sort of adjust um, to living in an in a in a world with large language models but um, you know that's just me speculating we'll see in uh, in a few years time how things will going to go um, do you have any thoughts or ideas about how that how that's going to evolve um, I, have, I have a few optimistic thoughts on how I'd like to see it evolve, um, especially in the academic spaces. Um, I think the era of everyone write me an essay and I'm going to judge everyone's essay is over. I, I don't think that's a relevant way of gauging how much someone's understood something now with the ability for people just to essentially generate their essays. What I think is going to be much more useful now is having people do analytics on kind of what essays and writing is trying to tell them so by essentially more quiz type things where it's i've given you an essay that was written by one of these language models but i've inherently told it underneath to put in a bunch of fallacies or a bunch of misinformation and what it's doing is it's checking that the person reading it is understanding now sure they could pipe that back into another model and try and get something out of that but in doing so they're still learning they're still actually pulling the information out and having to read and consume that information and say okay this is what it's telling me so i'm kind of hopeful that we'll kind of change the mode of education a bit um and in the tech tech space is what i think we'll see as well especially in kind of computer science and software development is we will see more of an embrace of how to use these models in ways that actually benefit the person so okay yeah you need to do some coding but if you learn to use one of the ai assistants for coding um as long as you're learning the core of what you're doing it's going to help you speed up and you're going to see people actually rapidly develop their skills through using these assisted models yeah, I think it'll, because uh, they're new developers, I haven't really gotten that used to it. Um, I, I see it sort of like an IDE where you can write in Notepad, a regular text editor, or you can write in an IDE where you'll have um, syntax checking, you'll have type checking in real time, you'll have IntelliSense, which will tell you, you know, all the methods available on an object. And I think this will be something like, Something like that, where certainly for boilerplate, you can say, please, um, you know, give me uh, a class that implements, you know, this particular interface or what have you. Um, and I think the other way that this might go is there's a lot of writing that happens today, which is really low value. So copy editing, editing and advertising um, blogs, but not blogs that are particularly interesting. And I think that there'll probably still be writers in the future, but the writers will be um, the really, really good writers. And most of the, what you see on packaging, in ads, um, instructions, uh, these sorts of things will just be generated by bot where people don't really care 100% if it's really well written. 
I think it'll be sort of like when people go to a farmer's market to get some sort of um, bespoke or handmade, you know, the, uh, soap or, or or honey from the farmer's market. We have big industrial processes, but people are still going to want to know that something was written by a person. Um, yeah, this is this is my sort of speculations. Um, did you, one of the other announcements as well uh, was around Fabric, this sort of data analytics platform. Did you get to see a lot about that? Uh, I, saw, I saw a bit on that. Um, so I had a few other people watching um, build with me who were more interested in Fabric. I mean, I've caught kind of the high level, which is that so it's effectively um, a new way that they're allowing for integration of data platforms. So whereas before you would have had to have like say Power BI in one place and then you'd have your database sitting in another area um, and then you've got Cosmos DB and a data lake and all these different data elements. Um, and they were hard to tie together to actually create a cohesive system where you could see data in Power BI from say all these different sources and stuff like that. Um, and the idea of Fabric is that it's trying to actually streamline a lot of that stuff. Um, it'll also be a way to uh, provide data to the uh, AI platform. So um, different copilots, I believe there's even a copilot being built into Fabric itself to allow people to explore data. Um, but yeah, it looks like there's a lot of, a lot of interesting movement in that data space. So suppose, um, suppose you're a product manager or, um, you know, a more senior engineer or engineering manager, one of these sorts of people, and you've just had this, um, this conference, um, Microsoft has laid out sort of their roadmap for Azure for the next couple of years. Um, what do you think they should be thinking about, especially product people? Um, if you're any any sort of retailer or company that has an e-commerce presence, uh, what do you think you should be having seen that? What should you be going to develop, and what sort of uh, people would you need in order to develop that for you? Yeah, so I think first off, Copilot is going to be a big. It's kind of like the low-hanging fruit at this point. It's everyone's going to do it, so everyone should try and do it at the same time. So rather than be the competitor that got left behind, um, it's a good idea, I think, for everyone to start looking at how we're going to get business-based copilots, whether it's internal for doing things like looking up internal documentation or kind of policies and things like that, or if it's external, say, on a website where it's going to kind of replace some of those smart agents that we've been using for a while um, in the chatbots we'd want to enhance those with kind of these AI, large language models, supported AIs, um, and start to do kind of more intelligent things um, in that space. Um, and I think what we're going to need from kind of a skill set point of view, we're going to need a lot of engineers that are open to kind of the innovation flow of working. So kind of that fail fast where you need to accelerate need to get into uh, actually using these systems. You need to be rapidly iterating over, okay, here's a prototype. Does it work? Does it meet our goals? Um, yes, let's start to productionize it. Or no, this is going nowhere. Let's quickly pivot to something else. Because I think if we take the traditional way of doing things where 
we do a bunch of analysis. We work out here's some of the products we could use, do a bit of um, like proof of concept work underneath, just very slowly, make sure everything's kind of going the right way. What you're going to find is you're going to get left behind. And those other organizations that kind of can speed up and do this iteration are going to get to market first and they're going to have that better experience plus then more experience over time of actually running these systems. Yeah, I think that when anything's new, um, you get a lot of innovation right at the beginning because no one's done it before. And then you very quickly realize, oh, this is the right thing to do. That's not the right thing to do. And then after a while, people sort of tend to... Um, coalesce to a particular design for something. And I think that you're spot on that uh, the people who are flexible, who can, well, I guess the, the cliche is who really embrace that agile way of working. Um, and I mean, agile in the sense of, um, of being able to work on something for a little bit, iterate on it, learn as you're developing, I think, um, that's probably a really, really big advantage. Um, but if you if you think about the sort of regular developer, let's suppose um, you know how to code, you've worked, you've maybe you've worked as a developer or you haven't, uh, but you're seeing this AI trend and you want to um, you want to get involved, either creating your own products or getting a job working on these things. You think it's really interesting. Um, do you have any sort of uh, suggestions, advice, what they should, what should they be doing right now? Um, so my advice on it is to play around. So if, if you've got access to uh, any of the language models, it's always good to kind of experiment, play around. Um, if money, like if you don't want to be paying for them, which is totally valid, there are now pretty passable um, models that you can download and run locally, which I think we alluded to earlier. Um, so the Facebook ones and stuff you can actually download. So you don't actually need to kind of have an outlay of cost to this, which is really good for learning these concepts. So I think definitely getting your hands dirty a bit is a really good way of learning some of these, um, engaging with other like communities. There's now a ton of people in the tech community who are now speaking about this stuff, uh, going to meetups. I wouldn't be surprised if there is kind of new meetups that start up um, just for user groups of doing this AI stuff. Um, so definitely keep your eye on that if you want to meet other like-minded engineers. Um, so, but at the same time, it's there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. It's going to be really fast and it's going to be a huge torrent. So I think it's also important for developers to know that it's not a race all the time. Like, yeah, people will be racing to get stuff out, but um, it's good to take your time with some of it. Sometimes you don't want to end up in a space where you're trying to learn 50 million things and do your day job. Um, and it kind of get overwhelming. Um, but it's also a bit of a call out to the organizations with the developers saying that the developers are going to want to learn this stuff. This stuff is going to be interesting. It is going to reshape parts of businesses. Uh, and there needs to be space made for that kind of learning to happen within organizations, not just to rely on developers to learn it on their own out of hours type thing. Yeah, I think um, I've, I always say this, but um, when you're working as a software developer, it's one of those things that's different to other jobs. You need to be developing yourself the whole time as well. Um, learning about new technologies, doing something different. I think it's 
it's really, really important to stay current. And I think in terms of um, creating an environment for developers, um, it has to be part of your focus to have that sort of training, whether it's like actual training, giving people time and space to develop something new. Um, and especially if people show encouragement, I think, oh, sorry, if people show initiative to encourage that. So yeah, I guess uh, what you said spot on, I think. Um, I, I think there's a lot of hype around this. It's sort of the next Bitcoin. And uh, I think unlike Bitcoin, it looks like this might really turn into something interesting. Uh, so yeah, uh, just before we go, I was kind of curious about um, you just recently got into streaming your programming sessions on Twitch. Um, how did you decide that's what you wanted to do? And how have you found it so far? Do you get a lot of um, feedback from people? Is it, um, do you, I, I, I was just curious, how have you gone with it so far? Yeah, no, um, so, yeah, it's it's been interesting, interesting trip so far with uh, so starting up live coding. So um, I've I've kind of done it in a bit of a response to wanting to do more community engagement. And I used to a long time ago do gaming on Twitch and stuff like that. And I found the community there really good. Um, but what I found is that a lot of the development that's done on Twitch is either game development or it's kind of more the pre kind of someone's done a bunch of research and they've been showing everyone oh here's this cool thing i built and copying pasting code over that they built earlier and things like that and what i was really wanting to do was to give a way of showing people what the development cycle is really like like what is devops for example something a lot of devops work where it's not just oh i'm making a thing it's i'm making a thing but i'm also deploying the thing i'm also deploying the infrastructure and it's a look of how that goes when, like, how do you research it? How, what happens when things break? How do you deal with the fact that, okay, I've done a bunch of work, I've come back to a week later and I now need to refactor a whole heap of it. Um, and it's giving that kind of realistic, uh, or what I think is a realistic version of what developing and DevOps and platform engineering is today. Um, so far it's been, I've had, some streams which have been better than others. Um, I've definitely getting more engagement off the AI streams. I think they're more interesting because they're a bit more interactive. Um, but still, still in the early days. But it's slowly getting there. Um, but yeah. So if if anyone uh, wants to jump on, so I stream Monday nights, uh, kind of eight pm to eleven pm uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time, uh, and you can find me as uh, DMC as a service or one word. Uh, which, funnily enough, has tricked a lot of people to think that I'm DMCA as a service. They read the double A. So um, a, few, a few people said, I'm not sure about that, but no, it's no, no double A. So just DMC as a service. All right. Um, and along with Twitch, actually, where else can people find you? Where are you most active in terms of social media? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. So um, find me at uh, Dylan McCarthy uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and also I'm on Twitter again, using DMC as a service as my Twitter handle. Um, so yeah, I'm usually pretty active on those spaces. Uh, and I have a blog, which hasn't been touched in a while since I've started Twitch actually. Um, but that's, um, 
DMC as service uh, dot dev. All right, cool. And at the moment, these things are going to SoundCloud. So I'll have all those links on the SoundCloud page and in the RSS stream for the people if you're listening uh, with the real podcast player. So cool. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I, I had a really great time chatting about this stuff. Uh, I also appreciate getting a debrief from someone who um, is, is more experienced with a lot of these things than I am to help sort of explain it to me. Um, and yeah, I had a great time. Uh, links will be available for anyone that wants to uh, learn more from you. And uh, just before we go, is there anything else you wanted to finish up on? Um, I think the, the main messages are that tech is increasing in speed and um, should everyone should jump on the AI bandwagon. It's going to be a whole heap of fun. A whole heap of fun. All right, cool. Thanks. I'll Thanks, thanks for having me. See ya.